I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, the Rowers Choice, and we have another podcast. This is uh, oh God, season four, episode twelve, and I've spent the last eleven weeks talking to coaches that have been doing this longer then this guy has been alive. Think about that. <laughs> so the person I'm talking to today, you might never have heard of. I mean, like I've heard of him. I've known him for, of him for a couple of years. This is like really the first time that we've ever communicated. And this is Trevor Mickelson, the associate head coach of lightweight rowing at Dartmouth. And we're going to be getting into some really hot topics. I've learned over the last 11 weeks that Every single coach at the highest possible level always starts somewhere. And this guy is starting that somewhere. He's starting at the very beginning of a hopefully long and successful career. Once we hear about his background and where he is, we're going to get into four topics that I'm really excited to get into. One is how does he manage his peer relationships, right? So if he is a young guy at 32 years old, what, is he nervous to go up and talk to Marty Crotty? Is he nervous to, at the start, working with uh, Dan Rook, right? And then I want to get into his connection with his athletes. You know, this is a big thing for junior coaches and for college coaches just starting out. Think Gennaro, the guy's in his early 30s, just like Trevor, and he's got athletes that are only 10 years younger. And then we're going to really close out on what happens to lightweight rowing in five years at the collegiate level if there's no more pipeline, junior rowing has said, we're done with it. So I have opinions about this. He does too. We're going to get into it. But first, Trevor, thanks for being here. No, thanks for having me. Excited to, to chat. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy about the topics you picked out. I think they're, they're going to be pretty fun to discuss and kind of open up about. There might be some arguments here, Trevor. All right. Go. So be ready. You know, I would hope so I would hope so. People... People who aren't passionate about rowing don't last very long in rowing, in my in my experience. So you just uh, hit you just hit. It, we haven't even been doing this for a minute, and you just gave me a a great line. I love that. All right, well, to to give everyone a reference who's not watching this on YouTube, you're in the woods, dude. I, you got a you got a, oh, a stove behind you. You got the curtains. Where are you? I got right this. Now? Is the guys made these? This is the John Deere Dartmouth rowing hat. One of my guys gave me this. Um, yeah, so yeah, Dartmouth, you know, Hanover, New Hampshire. We're up in the woods. Uh, you know, we're a two-hour drive from Boston, which is, you know, one of the closer airports. There's another one, Manchester, which is 90 minutes. Uh, luckily for us, when we bring kids up, there's actually the Dartmouth coach. It's a coach bus that drives kids from Logan right to the dead center of campus. So it saves... Awesome. Uh, the longtime assistant coach and me, a lot of drives to and from Boston with <laughs> high school kids. Um, Let, let's get yeah. into this. I want to know how old were you and where were you when you took that first rowing stroke? Yeah, I was, I guess, 15, maybe 16. Uh, the Harlem River. That's uh, where I learned to row out of the Peter J. Sharp Boathouse. Before it was Row New York, it was the New York Rowing Association. Uh, my, you know, I always figured I would play JV baseball. Um, and uh, I had a good friend who really wanted to try rowing uh his mom wouldn't let him go alone uh take the subway so he asked if i would go with him i said sure 
you know, I remember we did like a two week tryout, you know, all the classic, we went for long runs, uh, box jumps, you know, jumpies, push-ups, yeah. a little bit of erging. Uh, yeah. And then I don't know, never looked back. Uh, just, just really enjoyed it and enjoyed getting better. And well, talk to uh, me about this JV baseball thing. So um, I, I love talking to real athletes, right? So rowers, I think rowers fall in a couple buckets and um, one huge bucket is that they were terrible at every sport, but rowing, right? So if you had goals of being a JV baseball player, like give me, give, give me some stats, man. How good were you? What's, what's well, that? I said, I said JV remember. So <laughs> I would say uh, pretty bad. Uh, no, I love baseball. I really do. It's just like, I've loved this since I was five, you know, not very good at it. Um, just love the sport. Huge Yankees fan. Watch almost every game in the spring uh, and have for a long time. My family, dad, his dad, the dad before him, big Yankees fans. Um, you know, I, have, I actually have a pretty decent arm, honestly, still. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I remember... You know, I was, you know, a lot of my buddies when you first make friends in high school, right? And I can look back at this. And I went to Bronx Science, so 3,000 kids. And we oh. actually had a, a rowing team at the time. And I remember walking in the halls and we had, we used to call them the Fab Four. It was four. It was a four. I know. I don't know. Maybe they made the final at Stotesbury once, which was a huge deal. <laughs> but all four of those guys went to Ivy League schools and oh. rowed. Uh, one of them went to Dartmouth, Columbia, Yale. Uh, and then actually the last one was choosing between Princeton and MIT as a lightweight. Um, and they were just like the man on campus, honestly, believe it or not. And they had these like green, they weren't Leatherman jackets, but they were these green jackets because Bronx Science is like puke green and yellow are the school colors. And they would walk around and they were huge. And, you know, they always had girlfriends and... <laughs> You know, so that's the experience. I see them. I don't know anything about rowing. My buddy's like, hey, I want to try rowing. My mom won't let me come. I said, sure, I'll take the subway with you. We go. I, I don't know. It was, I think at that age, you're looking for community a little bit and identity. And the thing with rowing, as you know, and, and anyone probably who's listening knows, the work you put in is usually what you get out of it. You know, and uh... I think. Trevor, can I, can, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I was not that excited about this interview today and uh, it's hard to sure. admit this. So <laughs> I, uh, I had, I had, I had very limited expectations because I was like, well, you know, we've, how much information is this guy going to have? He's, he's been rowing for, you know, probably 15 years. And uh, I've had so much fun just in the last five minutes of talking to you. So I am really optimistic about this. I think you've right, a good, good perspective on things. And I just wanted to get that out there, man. I no, mean, I, I appreciate the honesty. I do. Uh, I You're really a funny guy, but I don't, I don't hear the New York accent at all. Is this like uh, common you know, I've, or I've, what? I've been told, you know, when I, you know, when I have a little in me, uh, it comes out. Okay. And I'm a little tipsy. I have heard that, uh, you know. I can definitely, you know, get a cup of coffee on the corner for a quarter if I need to. Um, but uh, all right, Trevor. So you you start rowing at fifteen, sixteen. You're on the Harlem yeah. River. Um, is that a good place? I've never been on the Harlem River to row. Is that a good place? You know, to it's row? it's it's up and down. I'd say it's it's a really cool place to row. 
it you know splits it's an offshoot of the hudson it splits you know manhattan and the bronx uh you roll down yankee stadiums on your left you're the old stadium you could row right by there's bridges there's the fdr cars you know it's cool it's not like mid-city like boston um but it's it's in the city um it's rough for sure it's title and has current uh and i'd say the biggest thing for us in high school and you know i've talked to emerson and nick about this at columbia for sure the circle line uh Mm -hmm. the circle line tours manhattan it's almost as wide as the river uh it creates incredible wake the peter j sharp boathouse which row new york still out of floats on the river it's you know on on these floaties uh it moves when the circle line comes through it's tough and it's it's not a good place for small boats because of that um i think if something does happen you're very much exposed um which can be good from a you know a safety standpoint but also tough so did you did you enjoy did you enjoy rowing there did you have a good experience i mean you obviously you, you know, you've made it a career. So yeah, well, you don't know anything else, right? So I'm going to practice. I think it's cool. You know, we would go to Philly for the regattas, of course, and that's kind of got its own quirks too, mm-hmm. right? With lane six and you're on the wrong side of the river and all this stuff. Yeah. So I'd say, yeah, I, I mean, I, I loved it. Obviously I, I really wanted to go to Fordham. That's all I ever wanted to do. Ted Banana was the coach there. He was actually my first boss when I started coaching, uh, he coached a summer program out of the boathouse. Um, you know, he just like kick the crap out of us, make us row really hard. You know, I, I loved every minute of it. And, uh, always wanted to go to Fordham and my high school coach at the time, this guy, Tom Curry was like, Hey, you know, I mean, I think I was talking to my dad. He's like, Hey, you know, Tra- Tra- Trevor's pretty good. And my dad was like, how could he possibly be good at this? He's so skinny. And, you know, and uh, he's like, no, you know, I think he could look in other schools. And so I started to, this was senior fall. So pretty late. I didn't really know wow. much um, on the ERG. I, wa- I was pretty bad on the ERG. I was, you know, 640 something, not under 640, uh, but, you know, really skinny um, you know, I looked at pretty good student, I guess, but I looked at schools, um, a little bit of Ivy League schools, but it wasn't even on my radar, honestly. Wow. Um, and Wesleyan reached out to me and I went there and they actually had put uh five or six lightweights on the US team uh in in the what? years past. Yeah, I don't know if you know John Moss, world champion in the 94 yeah, Street Four. I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't know that he Wow. Noel Warner, head coach of Tufts in on the national team. Judah Rome, uh, Matt Carey is under 23 guy. Um, you know, there, 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 there are a lot of kind of lightweights from that league. Who and, was the who was the coach at Wesleyan that that contacted you to get you to row there? Uh Phil Carney. Wow. He's been the head coach for almost 40 years now. Um, and another so you, one. So, so like talk about that. I want to know what that what that was like. So did he call you? How did he get I got an e- I got a form email where he found my name. My guess is I probably did like the St. Valentine's Day massacre. It's an erg race, mm-hmm. you know, and I would say this for high, high school kids. Like, obviously, I'm, I'm a recruiter and I've been recruiting my whole time in coaching. And right now I recruited, you know, the Ivy League 
level, which is definitely like, I would say almost every lightweight kid interested in rowing in college probably contacts Dartmouth, right? You know, it's one of eight schools, nine schools with support spots. So we get a lot of kids reaching out. Um, In the Ivy League, I don't know, maybe there's 50 or 60 supporting spots for rowers, right? In the whole league. Uh, there's a lot more than 50 lightweight size kids, <laughs> you know, there's tons and they're, they want to row in college. And I think the NESCAC, which is, you know, uh, New England small college athletic conference, it's D3. Now there's a D3 IRA. That's like Wesleyan, Williams, Trinity, Bates, Tufts, uh, Hamilton. They have varsity programs, Con College. They support kids. They're they're fully funded programs. They've got great coaching staffs, great facilities. Um, I don't know. It's an opportunity that I didn't know when I was in high school. I ended up in. There's great rowing there. You know, and again, back to my comment of the work you put in is what you get out. In rowing, unlike a lot of other sports, like you can go into the D3 level and you can be on this team and you can work hard and you can do the training. And you, know, you can win and you can be successful. And well, I think taking, taking your playbook, you can also get to a national team level experience too. Totally. A hundred percent, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, Peter Graves, John Graves, Tom Graves, Trinity guys. Yeah. Right. You know, P- John Graves, best single scholar in the country for probably a decade uh, Peter Graves, an Olympian, right. Um, guys from the quads in 92 are from Con college. Right. Like, I mean, the NESCAC, to me, it's like the first thing when I'm talking to a kid and it's Dartmouth's not for him, or maybe he's not quite at the level. I say, have you looked at NESCAC schools? Because, yeah. you know, if we're not supporting you, you know, chances are Yale's not supporting you or Princeton. Right. Sure. I don't know. But uh, there's a good shot and you're a good rower. You obviously love it. And I think like passion when it comes to recruiting, passion is what I'm looking for. And when these kids absolutely love it, they check my first box, but maybe they don't have the grades or maybe they don't have the the power or the rowing or the physicality I'm looking for. Hey, NESCAC, you get support, row. What's the cutoff, Trevor? I don't know if, what, if you can get further into this, but what's that? I'm always interested to know, like, what's the cutoff for power between like an Ivy League lightweight and then NESCAC? Oh, like on the ERG? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Cause I, you know, I'm going to say this and I say this to every high school kid, you know, cause that's the first question, you know, what is my 2k? What's my 6k, right? What's the SAT? I'm like, you know, I'll say 630 as a benchmark, right? Yeah, I'll yeah. say that. But I say that knowing I've recruited guys way faster and way slower. Our captain, Jack Stone, uh, he stroked the uh, under 23 lightweight quad to an A final appearance like two years ago. He could very well stroke our varsity this year for all I know. He'll probably be a 620, 620 guy. Uh, he went 648 in high school. Oh. Narragansett. Terrible on the earth. Terrible. He's tall. He was skinny. He had he's super long, humorous, great single scholar. So why, what, what, what did you see in him? Uh, that you're like, I got to get you. He loved to train. I think he had just come in like fourth or fifth in the single at the Charles and beaten some pretty good kids. Okay, yeah. Uh, he made the final at Youth Nationals in the single that spring. Wow. Um, to give you a little, uh, you know, he's obviously a good rower. 
Uh, he had the frame. I don't expect kids, 15, 16, 17 year old kids who are 150 pounds to be good on the ERG. There's some of them that are, and it's amazing. I'm blown away by some of these high school kids. And I, a lot of testament to high school coaches and training. And I think even like Reddit, I think kids just know more, <laughs> you know, seriously, I, there's a lot of complaints about rowing Reddit, but I think kids can go on and get a sense of like what other people are doing, what kind of training people are doing and, and, and put in time, but you know, it's an, it's another topic, but yeah, I mean, he, he loved rowing. Um, I, I could tell, I just, I got a sense. He had the, he had long arms. That's always a good move. He had a big chest cavity. It's always good. Um, you know, we supported him. I, okay. I, this is, this is, I, again, I was not expecting some of this conversation. Let me, let me get, I do want to get back just cause if I need we a will. timeline. So yeah. you sure. go to Wesleyan, uh, how great experience. Yeah. Great I mean, Unbelievable. I mean, I, I just had a bunch of my teammates up last weekend from college. So we're what, 10 years out. You're all very close. Still, still close, all in our wedding parties, uh, you know, still best friends to this day. You know, the group chat's been going on for a decade now. Um, were you guys you know, fast? I mean, how, how competitive is Wesley? We, at that we level? were, uh, so the new England championships was like our big, our big regatta. And we, the goal always was to win new England's, um, the closest we got was fourth, um, my senior year, but our team, my senior year, our JV was third and our three V was second, or maybe our JV was second and our three V was third. Uh, and we were fourth and that was kind of another goal. Like, can every boat be on the podium? And as the varsity, we fell short which was tough, but also if one boat's going to fail, you know, it might as well be your top guys. Um, like and uh, we, we went, we went for it. I know we, we decided as a boat, you know, would we rather go out winning or go out, you know, just short? And we were like, let's go for it. So we actually led to the thousand and just totally <laughs> got walked through, but it was awesome. Uh, yeah. We great experience. I think I had a really big impact there. Like, you know, I, I feel like that was my first kind of for, foray into coaching because then the NESCAC in the winter, uh, there's no coach practices from November 14th to February 14th. You're on your own training. So coaches meet, they give a training program, but there's no day-to-day. So it falls on the athletes. It's a real, it, it really, how good you are in the NESCAC is how good your winner is and how good your winner is, is your team's culture, 100%. Uh, I mean, that's probably true at every level, but especially in the NESCAP. When did you, so you, okay, well, that, that, okay. You just said a very powerful statement. Um, most rowers hate winter training, but you just said the culture is established in winter training. hundred percent. Yeah. So what, wh why you dive into that a little bit? I mean, it's, I, I say this to my, on my group all the time, you know, we've, we've had a great winner and they've, they've, They've earned every bit of that. You know, I don't say that lightly. It's been great because they've been great and they've brought a ton of energy and effort and focus to it. Um, but in the winter is when you're in boats on the water, right? Especially in the fall, maybe you'll do some mixed boats, but it is very 1v, 2v, 3v, right? Eventually in the spring, 1v, 2v, 3v. The winter, you have the 5v or 4v guys ergen in the same room as the 1v guys 
and you've got the 2v and 3v guys you know neck and neck who are going to be neck and neck all uh spring neck and neck all winter and the energy of that group and i mean you we've all been in big erg rooms full of kids training hard being competitive uh yeah. but being able to to all be on the same level and do the same workout and get the same messaging is a is a is mostly happens just in the winter and I so love that, can, man. I, it, I, I'm thinking back, I'm sure you're the same way. I'm thinking back now because what you said to all my memories and Potomac boat club, we, I, I trained there for four years with the masters rowers and you're right. Like it's built on the erg room at five 30 in the morning when they're all there, it, it, man, I love that. I'm, I'm glad you said that. All right. So no coach practices. You start to get a taste for coaching. You didn't go to Wesleyan to be a crew coach. Right. You didn't go oh. there. So what was the major? And then why, at what was, point did you start to say, like, I kind of want to do this now? I was a government major. Um, and I, you know, I wrote every summer. I wrote for the New York AC. I wrote for Vesper. I did some under 23 selection camps. Um, and then I graduated. I got a job working on Anthony Weiner's mayoral campaign in New York City. Uh, Great job. You need proof. I'm in the documentary, uh, Wiener. So I'm working there. It's pretty funny. I'm working. I'm also rowing. I uh, had a great summer of, of uh, I was just looking for a job that I could still row. Uh, I'm rowing, having a great summer rowing. I think we ended up, you know, we won Canadian Henley and a bunch of other races. And um, the guys at Anthony Wiener's mayoral campaign, for those not familiar, he did some stuff, leaked photos you know, mass exodus of the staff. So, but I just needed a job so I could still row. So I'm working there. I end up getting kind of like promoted almost. Um, and then- hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you remember in the, in the Will Ferrell movie, uh, the campaign, when he's yep. losing his stuff at the end, he's like, you're hired now, you're exactly. promoted. It's no, like, that's, how, that's how it really was, you know, honestly. It's not, <laughs> it's really how it was. Um, September rolls in, they're gone. You know, he loses. I have no job. I'm kind of talking to people there. Can you hook me up with a job? Uh, Ted Bonanno calls me, uh, who coached me a little bit in high school. He says, hey, I need a freshman coach and a women's boatman. And I can't pay you much. I have eight grand. But uh, are you interested? I go, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. So freshman men, novices. What a blast that was. I mean, still just really fun. And talk about age gap. You know, I'm 22. The kids are 18. It's club rowing. We're rowing at like 6 a.m. on the Harlem River where I learned to row. Um, you know, Phil Carney, who is my coach at college and hired me afterwards, uh, said, I'm so glad you did that because like you got all your mistakes out of the way and I didn't have to deal with them. Um, so, you know, I, I, I coached, I coached at that level and uh, had a lot of fun for money. I was coaching indoor erging classes. Um, Cause you know, you gotta, you gotta make money. Yeah. Uh, and then um, that, you know, that was fun too. I was still kind of staying in shape and, and rowing. And then uh, Phil called me after that year and said, Hey, we've got a, a grad assistant, basically assistant coach, and we'll pay for a master's. And I think it's really good if you want to get into coaching, because if you have a master's, you can get paid more. 
Mm. So I said, again, I wasn't really concerned, you know, I didn't really think about that, but I said, sure. And I uh, uh, went to Wesleyan, did that for three years, uh, didn't end up finishing my master's, I actually finished that after during COVID when it was online, because I was just kind of into the rowing and coaching and I was training a lot. I was training uh, with G-Man out of GMS and 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 rowing the single and learning learning how to skull and learning how to train and teaching kids how to row and teaching kids how to train and that just really helped me develop uh my coaching kind of philosophy i guess and and my 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 eye and i had really good mentors at that point you know phil carney your, norm who was your mentor norm graf and phil carney uh norm graf passed away uh longtime coach at Wesleyan, he was the associate head coach uh, when I was in college. And then, at, uh, sorry, I got to take my dog out. Um, associate head coach. And then uh, uh, Phil, obviously the head coach. Norm coached forever at Trinity College in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, for the men, uh, you know, who'd he coach? Curtis Jordan uh, was, was one of his kind of former athletes that that became a, a pretty successful coach um there's ton garrick you know uh, he's he's got a huge coaching tree maybe 50 or 60 of his former athletes still coaching uh and that was a guy who kind of taught me that it's all about relationships you know i think uh that that was his big thing but anyway there's a there's a, there's something i want to uh point out uh it's really for the listeners uh to hear this loud and clear um you it was, I think it was, um, it was my interview with Chris Clark. And he said, you don't go in there for the money because, and, and if you are get the hell out, you have no reason to be there. You'll, the money will come. It will come. It will come maybe in 30 or 40 years. It'll come. And you look at some of the, the guys, men and women that have been doing this for 30 or 40 years, they're making a great living. They, 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 they have fantastic careers. You started at the Anthony Weiner campaign. You had probably got not getting paid very much money at all. Some guy says, I got $8,000 for you. Come on over. You said, screw it. Okay, fine. You side hustled. You found your way to make, to make, to make, a, to make ends meet. And then it was, but it was never about the money. And, and I think that athletes can see that they can sense it. They can feel it. It's like, why are you doing this? You know, are you in it to make a million bucks? Cause it ain't going to happen. Right. Uh, and you were in New York. So you obviously are being fed a lot of opportunities like do I go in finance do I go to yeah, career yeah totally um I mean I think I I credit a lot to my dad uh my dad's uh he's an artist uh not another great profession to not make a lot of money in uh you know he's you know happens to be you know very talented and has you know found a way to make a living from it um you know but he he hasn't worked a day in his life and he would say that, and 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 I'd say the same thing, you know. And uh, I'd say that even if it's like 10 p.m. and I'm talking to a high school kid from California, or I'm driving the trailer at midnight to Clemson, you know, I still would say I haven't worked a day in my life because I get to, I get to do what I do, and I would if I could afford to, I'd do it for free. I got to eat, so you know, I got to make a little money, but I really would, and. Uh, I mean, how many of us, I never volunteer coached, but how many of us started as volunteers? Oh, yeah. A lot. Numbers. Yeah, a lot. You know, it's 
doesn't happen in a lot of professions. Uh, Trevor, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm obsessed with my business. I'm obsessed with what I do every day. And um, it's, it's so comforting to hear someone say they've never worked a day in their life. Now, I've been a grind. I've had to grind it out. But now I'm in this rhythm in this. I'm like, I am obsessed with it. And I love I love meeting someone who's also has that same obsession. Um, well, you can say, and I bet this is really true for you. And I say this, I, you know, and I'm stealing a uh, quote via Dan Ruck, who I'm sure I'll quote a lot today uh, from the uh, Princeton Boatman, not the hammer, uh, not not Brad, but before him. Uh, and he said, yeah, I want to be a rowing coach. You know, you'll you'll work half days the rest of your life. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You know, that that that's his line. And I think I, I say this to uh, a couple of buddies of mine in coaching. You know, you can look at coaching in two ways. I'm always working or I'm never working. You know, and I like to look at it as I'm never working. Or sometimes maybe I'm in the mood to say, man, I'm always working. You know, because, you know, the kid calls you at 1030, you know, or you know, you're talking to, you have to wake up at 5.30 or whatever it is, or noon, you got to run because you, you forgot you're supposed to put a bucket in this aid and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm either always working or I'm never working, but sometimes it's easier to stomach never working, you know? So right, you're, at, you're at Wesleyan for three years. Pandemic hits. At what point, well, the pandemic, you're, you're I'm assuming, oh, I no, think- I'm you're, you're at Dartmouth before that, right? So yeah, you went yeah. from Wesleyan to Dartmouth, right? Yeah, I'm Wesleyan to Dartmouth at West. I started coaching in the summers at Vesper. I did the under 23 lightweights. Um, you know, it was good. It's it's good to be an assistant and learn. It's also good to, I was just talking to my assistant. It's also good to kind of take the reins and see, okay, I got, I've been hearing stuff. Let me try it my way. Um, you know, I think I've been really lucky to have bosses that have given me a lot of autonomy. Uh, with either my crew or some piece of their program uh, and you know finding some program in the summer to be a head coach at is like number one autonomy all right I'm going to try this thing I want to do um, you know ha- that that was a great group couple good really good groups of athletes and and some really good successes and then started at Dartmouth for Sean Healy was the coach um, came into the program was given the opportunity to make a really big impact. Uh, he ended up uh, leaving, uh, being asked to leave, and they brought in Dan Rook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still have the email, or my dad does. I sent my dad the email. Dan sent me an email. I said, hey, Trevor, you know, uh, I'm, I've been asked, I'm think, considering coming back to the D150s. Uh, I would hope uh, that that you would you would join you would join me uh, or stay. And I sent to my dad that I forwarded him the email. I'm like, this is like Dan Ruck, one of the best coaches in the country. I can't wait. Uh, and that's, that's it. I mean, there's nothing like experience. There's nothing like having a mentor. I mean, Dan talk about experience and being a mentor. Uh, and I, you know, worked for him every year until this year. Uh, I had a small stint with the women when our program got cut. But, uh, and then it came back and Dan came back and I came back, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's DJR. I don't know how well, you know, Dan or his reputation, but he's done it at a lot of levels for many years. I think he started coaching in 1982 at FIT. He went to Princeton where he coached 
for Larry Gluckman and, and Cujo. And then he was the head women's coach at Princeton where Lori Daltney was his assistant. And, you know, they won a bajillion national championships. And then he went to the Cornell heavyweights where they sure. were very successful. And then he came to Dartmouth and with the lightweights. And I think uh, what makes Dan so special is that he's been able to do it at a bunch of different places. Uh, I once had a conversation with John Murphy at Brown, you know, another legendary coach in his own right. And he was talking about Dan and just saying, you know, the thing with Dan is he's been able to just do it really well at more than one place. You know, there's one thing, it's like Steve Gladstone, you know, it's, it's one thing to make your own right at one place. That's hard enough. But, you know, as you, as you grow and you stay at a place, you get some institutional knowledge, you understand. And I think Dan, the way he sees rowing um, as the puzzle, he sees it as this puzzle to figure out. And so he goes into a new place and he sees, okay, what do we got at Princeton? We got this buoyed race course. You know, we've got the boathouse on campus. What can we do? Oh, what do we have at Dartmouth? We have this incredible river that stretches forever. So let's do a lot of steady state here. Let's do a lot of pieces there. He transforms and molds the the, the training and the and the program to the group and to the school. Like um, probably the best the best as anyone does. I want to. Um... That's really nice of you to say about him. Uh, I want to go back to a thing you you said that you just really nonchalantly passed through, and that was when Dartmouth was cut. Oh can you yeah. Put me. Can you put us, the listeners, the audience here, in the boathouse when you got that news? Like, what was going on? What was said? Unfortunately, it was it was uh, the shame was we weren't together. It was the summer during COVID. It was June, July, maybe I can't remember. Um, and yeah, we got a, we got a zoom call with the then AD, uh, telling us and the other sports, it was golf, swimming, lightweight rowing, men's women's golf, men's women's swimming, lightweight rowing that were getting cut. Oh, it was devastating. I, I mean, I, I really feel, I still feel this way. I felt this way. I've worked really hard here to, to bring the program up. We haven't been successful in a long time. I've worked really hard to try to, to, to get us, get us back there. Um, you know, that was a, a total blow, especially we were kind of gearing up for that year. COVID happened. We didn't get to race, you know, but it was okay. We were going to have next year. We weren't losing that many kids. And then to be cut was like devastating. Um, how did, uh, how did Dan Rook comfort you? Did he? You know, Dan, Dan, we got an e a very precarious email from uh, our sport administrator three days before, and Dan actually thought that's what it was about, Whoa. believe it or not. Not because he had any insider knowledge, just because he had been, he'd been in so many athletic departments and he just, the, the tone of the email. And uh, so he kind of mentioned it, uh, you know, the possibility. So it was a little bit on our radar. Um, you know, COVID, remember what was going on with budgets and all these concerns uh, and programs were getting cut elsewhere, Stanford, right? So like, that's why it was, it was kind of in on the forefront. Um, yeah, obviously I called him right away. I was, I was pretty upset as you can imagine. Uh, him and his wife, Kristen were on the phone. Uh, you know, Dan, immediate concern was me, me getting a job. Yeah. You know, I think the first thing he did was call Nancy LaRoque, who was and I think Wyatt did the same thing. I mean, 
Uh, I think I've, I've been around some fantastic, you know, mentors like, you know, Wyatt and, and, and Dan and, and coaches who, you know, you know, really care about you as a person uh, and, you know, look out for me. So they were more concerned about me uh, having a job than anything else. And were you looking like, was that, I, I, cause I can't, I mean, you're getting a message saying you're just, you're, you're not going to have a job in two months. Right. And I, I, I can't imagine the flood of emotions that went through you at that point. Yeah. I've had that a couple of times though, because my bought, my first boss here was gone. Wiener. Well, Anthony Wiener. Well, Anthony, go to Anthony, go to Sean Healy. When he was asked to leave, I was just in limbo as an assistant. Um, the program's cut. I'm in limbo. When Dan retired, I was in limbo. So, you know, I'm a little used to it, I guess. Not that it makes it any easier. It's definitely tough. Um, yeah, program gets cut. I was definitely looking for jobs there, a couple people reached out to me, which mm-hmm. is always great. Um, you know, I, I have some, you know, you get older, you have friends and then those friends become head coaches and you know, that, that always helps. Um, but yeah, Nancy was happened to be looking for an assistant coach. She was new. I had worked with Nancy at a camp years before, uh, and you know, she needed someone who knew how to recruit at Dartmouth. I I was definitely a good guy for that. She needed someone who knew the school. It was awesome. We had a lot of fun that year. It was COVID. So it was, it was a weird year. Obviously mm-hmm. we weren't doing a ton. We were rowing singles and just having fun. Uh, but then the program came back that winter. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they brought, I, you know, they brought Dan or they asked Dan to come back. I asked Dan to come back. I came back and, you know, we kind of, we kind of rolled through that year, which was, you know, kind of fun. And then the next year, which was last year, was our first full year back. And I think we're really disappointed. We were very disappointed with the end of last year, but you know, it, it, it had its high points for sure. And, and, and coming back, you know, our first year back was cool. Um, you get this job. So you become the associate head coach. So you're brand new. The interim, the, in, the interim head interim, coach. Yeah. Interim yeah, head yeah, coach. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell, tell me, what does that mean? Exactly. What is, what is interim head coach and what interim basically what interim means is, and I asked for interim. I asked for that, to be honest. Um, and I asked for it because I didn't want a day or two to interview. Um, I wanted a year, a year and a day, you know, let this year be my interview year interim. Basically it's a tag that means they can, they can give you the job on an interim basis. Uh, without having to open the hiring process. And so, you know, basically it just, it gives you a foot in the door and, and, and a year to try. Um, I I've been told by a few people not to do an interim job. I think a couple of people told me not to, um, I don't know. I, I, I wanted, uh, I, I wanted the shot, you know, I've, I've given a lot to this program and That's I, a very, I think- uh, it's a very mature thing to do. Uh, and it's also uh, a strong, a strong move. What you're saying is I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Totally. I'm going to show you that totally. I am the guy that you need here for the next 10 years. Yeah. And I believe it. I really do believe it. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I've been honest with the team. I think I'm the guy, I think they believe in me, which is huge. That, that really helps. Um, I think a lot of, I think my coworkers believe in me. Uh, I think our administration believes in me. I, I, alums, I feel the support. I really do. Um, more parents. I mean, I feel support from everywhere. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I do, obviously I hope, I hope we can be good this year. Uh, more, more, less so about getting the job and more because like my, these guys have, you know, they, they've worked for this, you know, we're in a spot for it. So I hope we can, we can win some races this year. Uh, and then, you know, we'll see what happens, but hopefully I, I can show, you know, my ability, uh, over the last eight, 10, 11 months, whatever it was. Let's, let's get into these topics here. Uh, because you are the interim coach, you, you're now going to races, you're, 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 you got the cup races, you're communicating with other coaches that have been doing this for forever. So how I'm putting myself in this position, I would be nervous on race day or during the week to talk to my peers, you know, men and women that have been doing it for it. How do you, how, how do you feel about it? How do you manage communicating with them and putting yourself in that position? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Andy card, right. Andy cards, Yale, what, 30 years, a lightweight legend, right. He won, you know, Princeton lightweight, uh, you know, they won the JV as a, at the IRA as a lightweight eight when Andy was at Princeton. I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he's coached world champion crews and Yale's never been bad in, in my knowledge, you know, oh, yeah. um, and, and he's a tough guy, but, uh, you know, incredibly kind to me and nice and understanding. And he's called me to, to help, you know, and, and say, Hey, do you need help getting this done or to confirm about the Yale race? Um, you know, I, yeah, the, the league is full of um, the lightweight league is full of some, some really great programs and really great coaches. Um, they they've been, they've been incredibly nice and welcoming to me. Uh, I think I've been in this league a while. Right. And Dan, I very much see is he's almost like kind of like the godfather in a lot of ways in the sense that, you know, he knows everyone and everyone knows him and they're always saying hi. And so if I'm always tagging along next to him, I'll kind of meet some of these guys. I mean, I, it, it's intimidating for sure, um, but it's no more intimidating than having an Olympic champion, you know, Wyatt Allen as the, mm-hmm. you know, as the head heavyweight coach. Right. And, and again, he's talking about, you can't talk about someone nicer uh, or more welcoming. So you're right. It's intimidating. Um, but I think they've all been young coaches, right? They also, all these coaches work with young athletes, right? So they're used to it. Um, I, I haven't felt any kind of animosity or fear, um, but uh, you're totally right. I, sometimes I, I'm, I'm kind of a rowing junkie. So sometimes I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, this is cool. You know, we got like Nick Lee Parker and Colin Farrell and, uh, you know, all the, and Andy Card and Marty Crotty, like, these are all like, you know, the guys. So yeah. I, I think sometimes I'm just like, yeah, this is cool. I, I guess maybe it's, it's different at the junior level, junior level, um, coaches have this chip on their shoulders and you go to regattas mm-hmm. and they're like, I don't want to talk to you, get out of here. Mm-hmm. And like, they try to yeah. have this presence. And I think, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen totally. it, totally. uh, collegiate level might be, it's a, maybe it's a different group. Uh, we got to work together a lot more. I'd say like the lightweight yeah. league, we got on a zoom call every month, all the coaches head and assistants get on a zoom call. And we talk about league issues, you know, league rules, uh, you know, how to move programs forward, you know, what, what we need you think, to change. I mean, do, you, do you have to agree with me that junior rowing should have that as well. Right. There, there needs should, to be- at least regionally. Yeah, I think some regions are missing that uh, opportunity. All right, so let's talk about your age. Uh, 32, right? 32. 
So um, I love this era. I love this generation. There's uh, a huge, in, in American economics economy right now, there is a transition of wealth. It's the 60, 70, 80 year olds leaving it, the 20, 30 year olds coming in mm. and it's happening in rowing right now. There's a huge transition. Um, but that means that your athletes are very close to your age. You said that at Fordham, you were three or four years older than yeah. some of your peers. Um, what's the dynamic on your team? Do they even look at you and your age compared to Dan Rook? Like what's that dynamic between you and the athlete? Yeah, we're different. I mean, Dan, Dan is, uh, not only is Dan almost seven feet tall, but you know, he's, you know, he's 60, whatever he's older. He's got a presence to him. That's older. Uh, I think here's, here's what helped that I was an assistant coach. And I think even with Dan kids have problems, you know, if they have problems with getting their oar in the water, they're going to talk to Dan. Yeah. Right. Okay. If they have problems understanding how they're supposed to move up and down the slide or something, he said, they're going to talk to Dan. If they have problems with their girlfriend or boyfriend and they want to talk about it, they talk to me. You know, if they have problems with the class or this kind of thing. And and that's how you develop your relationship. Right. Because relationships are built built on trust and respect and coaching is a dictatorship built on trust and respect. No one's got a problem with a dictator. It's the most efficient way of running something if he's a really good dude, right? If everyone loves your dictator, loves your king, loves and respects them, and they've earned the respect and the right to be there, that can be really powerful, right? It's, you know, think about not to compare coaching rowing to war, right? But, you know, you think about like Alexander the Great who would ride on his horse into the battlefield with his men, right? And like, was this larger than life character? And I think he built a certain trust and respect with them that that allowed him to be a successful leader. And I think that it, it comes down to your relationships with your athletes. And I pride myself on my relationships with my athletes, 100%. I, I consider myself approachable. Kids can call me anytime. We can talk about everything. We can talk about nothing. Um, you know, and I would be lying if I say, I don't, I don't use that to our advantage in terms of boat speed. You know, I have a good close relationship with kids. And so I feel like I can really push them to their limit, you know, and, uh, and, and I can support them to fail, to find that next step and kind of in, in our sport at high levels, you know, that's what it's about training really hard going out on a limb, failing, and then coming back and trying again and not failing. And I think you can get that when you're able to develop a, a really tight relationship with your athletes. Trevor, I, there, there's a couple of really key things here you said, um, and a lot of it's self-awareness. I like that you said, and I haven't heard this in a while, like, yeah, you compare it to war. It's a great thing to be a dictatorship, but I, is there a difference between being a dictator with your assistant coaches and with your athletes? Cause you can't, in my opinion, I think your coaching relationship should be more of a democracy. And then- Oh, part, totally. Is, is, that, is that correct? Am I correct totally, to say that? Totally, totally. I mean, a hundred percent. I think uh, like your, your coaching staff and your athlete, there's gotta be a different relationship, right? I mean, collaboration is key for any coaching staff. And I would say that whether your assistant coach is a first year coaching or a 30th year coaching 
because everyone's got something to bring to the table. Everyone's got their experience. Um, I've always felt that way. I've always felt like I've learned what to do or maybe even learned what not to do by watching coaches all around me. And I've always kind of tried to put myself in enough positions to experience a variety of coaches. Um, and I say, I learned something from, you know, we've got Wyatt Allen and John Graves on our heavyweight staff, pretty, pretty accomplished rowers and, 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 and coaches. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, Merritt or Hannah who are kind of younger women's assistant coaches. I learned stuff from them, mm. you know, Mark Roberts, my assistant who, um, is his love of rowing is palpable. I mean, it's, it's, you never met anyone who watches more rowing than him. And I can say that because I, I watch a lot of rowing. I know John Graves watches a lot of rowing. I mean, this kid, he loves this stuff. What, what's Anytime your favorite, what's your favorite race? What's your favorite race to watch? What is the one thing, like, what's the one race you've loved to watch? Um, oh, for me, yeah. I, you know, I would yeah. say that the Athens double. The Athens uh, double. Yeah, I don't know if you watched it with the, the French double that wins. Yeah, in I, I know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's I, your favorite yeah. race. I'd say so. That boat's unbelievable. Those guys are incredible. <laughs> um you know I'm sorry I to think, cut you off i was sorry to cut you off no there. sure i think the other one a close second would be uh i think it's the lightweight single in rachiche in like 94 uh where he uh the brit catches uh he hits uh the buoy and he catches a little digger and then he sprints back and wins hanlon um, dude you're you're you are absolutely a rowing nerd there's no question about it like you oh I totally and and that's why i'm saying when i say mark roberts my assistant watches a lot of rowing he he watches a lot of rowing um but like because of that he he learns right and and so uh i i don't know like you talk rowing with with mark and he you know you know of course he doesn't know everything but he kind of gets a sense of he he, he kind of he watches stuff He's very perceptive. He's always working on his eye. I mean, yeah. so, you know, you could say my assistant, he's obviously younger, you know, but, uh, you know, I can, you know, we can talk and talk about stuff and, you know, learn from each other. So who's your, uh, your idols? You know, you know, you, I know, and we've sort of already talked about this coaching idols, but you, who are your rowing idols? Who are your coaching idols? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's so tough. I, I mean, I, so many, right. Um, I think like I not to obsess over Dan Rook, but I mean it when I say like Dan Rook is, he means the world to me. Uh, I've learned so much from him and the way I learned from him is we would go to lunch every day and he would just talk, talk about what he's learned or crews he's coached or stories he's heard. Um, Wyatt Allen, I mean, Wyatt is, uh, you know, Wyatt, Olympic gold medalist in Athens, bronze in Beijing, Juan Henley in the single in 05. Uh, probably one of the better athletes uh, in U.S. men's rowing, you know, as of late, although he'd never say that. He'd always say, oh, I wasn't as good as Volp or, oh, I wasn't as strong as Cyrus or, you know, whatever it was. Um, but uh, just to talk about someone who cares and is humble and uh, you know, no, you know, has relationships with athletes and, uh, you know, knows good rowing, um, and, and is willing to try stuff and willing to admit 
uh, when he maybe didn't do something, something well, you know, and, and, and really takes it personally and, 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 and cares about it. Um, you know, I mean, how can you be in the sport and not idolize like, you know, the, the greats like Gladstone, right. Or you watch sure. Dave O'Neill at Texas or any of those guys. I mean, I think they're all, they're all phenomenal. Um, I, uh, it's hard for me to say for rowers, like rowers, I absolutely love. I mean, you know, Johnny Graves, right. Who I work with and consider a good friend, right. I mean, a NESCAC guy, Trinity guy, who's the fastest single scholar in the United States. Right. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool for a NESCAC guy. I used to race him in college. Um, you know, I, I'd say, uh, I, I idolize a lot of my athletes. We got some really good kids. I'm just impressed with their work ethic and their ability, like our Andre Quintiliani or Cooper Tuckerman or Chris Stitch, like guys who just, Ryan Tripp, guys on my team who are just, you know, the real deal, like the sky's the limit for them. Um, you know, I, I, I love those kids. I mean, a lot. I know I'm not really being helpful here, but. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you can, you can, you, I can really, I can really feel, I can really feel your enthusiasm for the sport and the love for it. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a slow burn for you. I think, you know, you found it as, uh, because of mom wouldn't let his son, her son, you know, jump on the subway and it's a constant grind for you. And you're just like, I love it. I love it. You feed it. Um, you know, I, you made me think about the Athens. I, I, I think I've watched that Athens eight race a hundred times. And I love when they get on the camera angle down low, they get right around the thousand meter mark and you see this eight fucking hauling down. Yeah. And I could watch that 10 second clip over and over and over again, the crispness, the smoothness, the power, these guys were what at that point, seven seats up open water on the, on everybody else. Like, does that not give you chills? Like that is, that is American rowing, man. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's just, it was obviously a really special group. I feel really fortunate because I've, you know, I've gotten to hear from Wyatt and and, yeah. and Brian, uh, you know, about about that eight and their training and the experience. And they, and again, obviously, I was not there, um, but you know, I've 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 heard a lot about it. I've watched it. I think those guys. You know, sometimes everything just works out. It all falls in line. I think, uh, you know, I talk a lot with my group about the X factor, you know, like your, what's your X factor? Uh, like the X factor, I think it gets brought up a lot in other sports. Like I remember watching that Super Bowl when the Patriots came back from the Falcons, right? Like 20, oh, sure. yeah. you know, it was like, all of a sudden the Pats are rolling and Brady and that Edelman catch. And like, they have the X factor and it's going their way. Right. And the momentum shifts. And uh, I, I talk about that with my team, like what's our X factor going to be. And like, why are groups, you know, synergy, why is an eight better than its individual parts or why does this boat win on the day? I think, especially in lightweight rowing, right. With our group, when everyone's so tight, um, you know, why are group, why are boats special? I think that Athens eight was special. I mean, those guys obviously worked very hard. Uh, you know, they were good on the erg. They, they were, they were, they had a, a style to them that kind of that leg push and swing, mm -hmm. right. Uh, just like, you know, for, you know, phenomenal characters in that boat, you know, the, like 
from JR to, to Brian to Bo Hoopman. I mean, Joey, yes. all these guys like, you know, Matt Deacon, all these like really special Chris Aarons. I mean, every chip, every single person in that boat was like special. I mean, and I, you can probably say the same thing about Great Britain or Canada or any of the other crews that didn't Maybe. win that race. But uh, I don't know. I mean, even the stories you hear of like them losing the skeg and and Ted Nash diving in to, to pull it out, right? When they were in Bulgaria or like having Ted Nash part of that with Mike Tatey and it all, it lined up and it worked out and it was a special group. And I mean, I feel anytime I get to hear Wyatt like talk about it, you know, I, I kind of perk up and I'm, I'm always excited to hear, but uh, yeah, what an awesome race. What Love an it. Awesome uh, race. You know, last, last question. Uh, and this might be where we start to argue. Um, I thought about this a long time. I was like, what am I going to talk about? You know, and, and junior rowing has said no more lightweight rowing. And yeah. from a salesman's perspective, right. It, Cause you're a salesman. Let's let's, he let's has the salesman. Yes. You're the salesman, right? So your pipeline mm-hmm. now, is is effectively gone i mean not gone gone right there's obviously lightweight men out there but it's gone it's drying up so what do you think is the landscape of lightweight men's rowing in five years sure no i like that um i'll say like it the guys aren't gone they're just not rowing lightweight and most of the best lightweights who are uh, most of the recruited lightweights didn't row lightweight in high school was that you right? Know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like all the good, all the really good guys were rowing their heavyweight eight. I mean, there's lightweights. I'm looking at my lightweight guys that I have on my team. Ryan Tripp rode his freshman year as a lightweight. You know, and then mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a 155 pound high school kid going 630, chances are you're making your your high school's varsity eight, don't you think? I oh, mean, God, yeah. That's pretty good power to weight. I mean, unless you got a coach who just hates little kids. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know. I look at, I mean, talk, look at all the eights, uh, the Greenwiches, the St. Saint, Saint Joe's preps, like all those boats have, have lightweight kids in there. Um, You're you not know. concerned at this at all. You don't have any concern whatsoever. I don't think there should be high school lightweight rowing. Why? Because you don't want, you, you can't have 16 year old kids cutting weight, losing weight. I mean, but you you're can have 19, 20 year olds. Like how does, I don't know. What's the difference. The, the, di- the difference between um, high school kids losing weight and college kids losing weight is me and our nutritionist and our sports medicine and our athletic trainer who are all involved in the process. Um, maybe some high school coaches are, I don't know, but I, my guess is a lot of high school kids are uh are kind of left to their own devices you know dartmouth hires me to coach the lightweights you know with an understanding that i understand what it takes to race lightweight i can pick kids who are going to race lightweight i can tell kids who aren't going to race lightweight i can help them make weight safely and effectively we've got dartmouth peak performance which is our like nutritionist and our strength coach and our athletic trainer and you know, we, we talk and we have resources available to help these kids. You know, I, I, I think, I think it's different. I mean, again, do I think I, you know, I say, I don't think there should be high school lightweight rowing. If kids want to do it and parents want to do it and U.S. government to sponsor it, I don't see why there can't be, 
you know, don't get me wrong, but uh, I think the U15, U17, right? That's supposed to take its place. Yeah. I mean, I rode lightweight in high school. I raced the flyweight single at Canadian Henley because I was 140 pounds, right? Sure. It was a cool event. Like, I probably, I had, I probably couldn't eat breakfast and thought it was a really big deal, right? Um, I guess I think before I got rid of, like, I would have done it differently. I wouldn't have just eliminated lightweight rowing. I would have done what they did, which has gotten a doctor to sign off. Mm -hmm. That's probably what I would have done. Um, yeah, I realized yeah. they couldn't do that because of COVID, right? They didn't want to like, like, I, I, I get that. I mean, there's probably a lot, there's probably, there's probably a liability issue. I don't know. Why does U.S. rowing say they got rid of lightweight rowing? I don't know. I, I, I quite frankly, I, I don't think there really is a direct answer. Uh, I think it's safety continues to be. I'm sure they say that. The over the overarching, you know. But what about here. my argument with like, so you have a doctor sign off on it. What do they say to that? I don't. I don't think they're. It's not good enough. I guess. I. I I'm not. I. I'll be the first to say I'm not as educated, um, in this decision and lightweight rowing. I've, I. I hate this about myself. Um, looking back now, having talked to so many coaches, is there's two areas that I have not really invested my energy into, and I want to do it now. It's lightweight men's rowing and it's collegiate rowing. I have not. I have not educated myself enough on it. Um. And your mic drop moment was the difference between high school and college lightweight rowing is me. I yeah. loved that statement. I mean, that's a powerful statement to make, right? Because you're yeah. you're being paid to do that. That's your job. And yeah. they don't have those jobs in high school. Right? No, exactly. Like, and, you know, high school wrestling exists. There's weight making in high school wrestling. And the way they do it is they have kids, they check the kids body fat percentages and they check their like urine samples, right. To see how dehydrated yeah. they are. Yeah. And, and that, and that's, and they could do that in high school rowing too. And that would check the boxes. My guess is they don't want to, or the not enough people can afford it or have time to do it. Right. Because you know, there isn't yeah. a like reaction rowing. though, is like when I heard that and, and things are going around, I'm like, well, you just, you just cut one leg off junior rowing. Now you just added another reason for someone not to join it, not to be a part of it, which means the growth of the sport will slow down. Yeah. Uh, see, that's, I, I, I don't know. Like I don't take that lens just because I assume kids will still start. Like there'll still be skinny kids starting. You mean, because there isn't like a top lightweight for them to make. They're just going to be in the three V they might not. Continue. That's what I, that's what I believe. Yeah. That's what, and I that's, believe. you know, it's a really good point. Um, I guess that's, it's very, that is possible. Um, you know, I guess they haven't, they've replaced the lightweight rowing with a three V or four V like, what have they done? Nothing. There's, they haven't done anything. They haven't uh, they, done they've anything. added, they've added the U 16, eights, the U 15. What about like the small 18 year olds? No, there's yeah. nothing there. there there's, there's nothing there. See, that's what they need to do, I guess, is add a four, another category or a four, you know, a, I mean, we, you know, I guess I, again, these are, these are the kinds of things that you have a conversation and you think, oh, they should do this. And then you're like, oh, well, this is why they can't do that. Right. Because. Yeah. Well, the deep, the, the bigger argument, uh, actually another argument to this conversation is that we, we, as junior rowers, junior rowing, we should only have the one eight, like you should have a premier boat. Right. And that's the one that everyone cares about. And it, you should just try to make that boat. And it legitimizes our sport more. Um, like in college. 
like, like in college, college, like it's the men's heavyweight eight is the eight. The men's lightweight varsity eight is the eight. There's no other categories. Yeah, but that people to race. doesn't that also hinder uh, like the same way that there's not going to be a top lightweight eight for those kids to go into. So they're not going to go like, what about um, like GMS? They're never going to field an eight. They don't have enough kids. No, no I know. They could I win know. the double. They could win the single. They could have they the could. best kid in the country. They're never going to win an eight, right? Yeah. They don't, they're not big enough. It's kind of like it kills small programs. And like from a college recruiting perspective, which is, again, that's my MO. Like I like, like I love kids from big programs because mm -hmm. it means they like crawled from the bottom to the top, like the CRIs or the Oakland Strokes or the Sarasotas, these kids like grinded they started with 10 eights and if you made the top eight there especially coxswains like you're the top coxswain at a cri man how many coxswains are at cri i don't know 50 right you're the top <laughs> yeah. coxswain at cri you can probably move on the sticks you know like you you've beaten a lot of people out you're in the top eight at cri as a kid you probably had a step over a hundred people right like mm -hmm. oakland stroke sarasota that's great but also if you're in a small program and you're good and you don't have that competition and you're just good being alone or you're driving your group and you're showing leadership by getting your small club, like you're bringing kids for extra workouts or whatever they're doing. Like that, that I mean, that's also, it's also really intriguing from a recruiting perspective. So I don't know. The problem with going all eights is it just like kills my guess is 60% of programs that can't feel them. Um, yeah, that's just because. Look, Trevor, I, I I like to keep these things fairly reasonably short. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've we've had this amazing conversation. I I'm so surprised, I, and truthfully, I've enjoyed every minute of this. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but you know, I, you're you're 32. Where do you see yourself in 10, 15, 20 years? You know, hopefully coaching. Um, right. You know, I think I. You know, I'm having a lot of fun being the head coach of the Dartmouth Lightweights, um, but I'd have a lot of fun being an assistant coach somewhere. You know, I still got plenty to learn. Like, I don't have an ego sure. with me. I would like be thrilled to, you know, work for a Tom Bohr or a Wyatt Allen or, a, you know, you know, name the list of of coaches that, you know, are accomplished and, you know, I could be an assistant for and um you know i i love college rowing i've been doing it uh i hope in in five ten years i'm i'm still coaching i'm still helping kids get better uh you know i i believe i i can do that uh, and i will do that and you know maybe hopefully it's at dartmouth but if not it'll be somewhere else and i'll be making making trying to make kids make boats go fast you know <laughs> You know, you've, you've brought up, um, you've brought up the division three world a lot, you know, multiple yeah. times, uh, yeah. you have a lot of respect for that. Would it, would it be a backward step in your career if you were to be a head coach of say Williams or Trinity? Oh, no. I mean, I'd never go to Williams because they're our arch rivals at West, but um, no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. And talk about a great guy, Mark Mandel. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if you've talked to him, but oh, he no. recruited me in college and uh, and I didn't go there. And then that was when he was at FIT. Mm. And then um, I spent time with him in D.C. because he was at Gonzaga for so Gonzaga. long. But the mm. guy is 
man, he is talk about a quiet dude. Um, but he's a quiet dude with that walks with a big fucking stick, man. That guy wins. He wins. And, and you know what I'll say about Mark Mandel and they they've come up here for scrimmages and we, we see him in Clemson. I mean, he's just such a good guy. Yeah. Um, and you know, he really knows his stuff. Um, no, I think, uh, no, I like Nescat coaching gig is a good gig. No question. Um, I think a lot of coaches, uh, know that um i think uh you can have a really good impact i think it's uh the institutional resources are a little more level uh yeah. than in, in other other places so it means you can have a more competitive group uh i think maybe there's a little more job stability mm-hmm. i don't see coaches getting fired as much at the d3 level um so you know from a from a career standpoint i you know i i would have no problem coaching at the d3 level i think it could be a blast um you know from a competitor you want to go to the highest level and work with the best kids no question um but i don't i don't think it's a step back i think the beauty of rowing is that uh you know rowing is rowing is rowing whether it's women or lightweights Mm -hmm. or heavyweights or high school kids or college kids or U23s or the Olympic Games. I mean, the level of athletes different, no question. But like, it takes the same things to make a go a boat go from point A to point B faster than everyone else. Do you have you ambitions know? of being like a national team Olympic coach? A hundred percent. I would love that. Um, you know, I've I've spent a couple summers coaching at the under twenty threes, uh, and I coached. Uh, yeah, I, I've had I've had a great time at those regattas. Mostly just being in the boatyard here, talking to other coaches from other countries, and and you know, I think what what's driven me at that level is I've had athletes who are interested in going to that level, and you know, I can help them get there. So I mean, it, to I me, think you have always... a lot of you have a lot of knowledge here, and I and I want to end with this question. Um... And, I, and I've said this a lot with you now, like, oh, this is the last question, last question. But because you have so much historical knowledge of rowing, it's very clear, very apparent. If you were the head coach or the program director of U.S. Rowing National Team, how would you run our program to get us to an Olympic gold medal in men and women's rowing? Oh, geez. I mean... <laughs> Sure. Give me, some, I, give me some bullet points. Like top I'll give you, points. I'll give you the first thing I would do is, and I was just talking to our boatman and my assistant about this last night. Cause as you can guess, when coaches get together, they talk yes. about this stuff. Like I would be looking for a big pot of money somewhere, whether it's donors, whether it's corporate sponsors, I'm going to say this on a platform and I don't mean to offend anyone. Um, and, and I hope I don't, but I think it is a shame that the United States can win every world championship in the women's eight from for 10 years and three Olympics with a revolving door of tall, smart, attractive women. And we can't market that. I just, how, how could we not, how could that not be on the news? I, I know it's hard. I know it's rowing. I'm not a marketing guy. I'm not saying I could have done better. I feel like like people would eat that stuff up, you know, especially like women in sports. 
Yes. Like, and we have like dominant, badass women in sport winning, right? Oh, like, dude, dude, Brooke Mooney. There I you mean, go. Like, come on. Like that's see, that's what I'm saying. Like, we couldn't market that. And then you get a big pot of money and it spits off four percent, and that can fund fund your 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 rowing team. And what I would try to do is find a place where we can pay the guys 50 or 60 grand so they can be a little stress-free and they can they can train full time and we can I like I like I don't know Yoshi, but I like him from what I've heard. And I like that he's got an idea and I hope he's given the opportunity to see it through. I know Americans are impatient. I hope he's because it doesn't really matter what you do in Rowan. It's the intent and you do it in the buy-in. That's really important. And I think that's important at every level. And, uh, but anyway, I would have a big pot of money. You know, maybe someone could win the lottery and give a hundred million for it. It spits off 4% of a hundred million. That's enough to fund kids and fund coaches and keep people alive in the cycle you know, they, I like that the people are rowing in different locations and then coming together for camps. I think that's cool. Right. I, I think that works. I'm not saying it doesn't, uh, training center, not training center, give, have them funded so they can focus on rowing and stay in for multiple cycles. You know, I don't want to offend anybody here, but, and you didn't, by the way, that was a great, that was a great thing to say. Uh, I, I this has got to be one of my favorite podcast interviews I've, I've done in a long time. We have done well over 120 at this point, just podcast interviews, and we've done hundreds of interviews. And uh, Trevor, I love going into something with one expectation and coming out with something completely different. I had so much fun with you. I really hope you enjoyed this today. Yeah, for uh, sure. I love talking rowing and you know, we don't have to do it over video. If you just want to chat rowing, give me a call. You know, I will actually, and I'm going to come watch you race. I'm going to be doing the uh, circuit this year. I'm going to watch a lot of college racing. So oh, this awesome. is I'll be there. You can't, you're not going to miss me. Um, this is episode 12, season four with Trevor Mickelson, the interim head coach of Dartmouth. Thanks for the next week.